broadcasting from just south of Los Angeles, California. This is the Veggie Power Podcast, exploring topics relating to working out, powerlifting, and everyday advice for lifting and living well. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Contorno. All right, let's veg out. Dr. Ash here, going to talk today about sex work. Ow, ow. I wanted to do this podcast because OnlyFans, sex work, things like that, A, it's becoming destigmatized, and B, more and more people are starting to do it. I thought um, it would be interesting to discuss this topic, give you guys my perspective, like it fucking matters. But also, I'm going to be interviewing someone who does sex work as her primary income, which is exciting. I wanted to give you guys some life updates first. 2.0, South Bay Strength Co., the big move. No, we still don't know when it's going to be happening. But I will say this. Uh, we have landlord PTSD. Our landlord, like, from our third week in our space, tried to sue us for, like, what we had in the fucking windows. And every time he calls, well, he doesn't even call. He just sends shitty emails, like, citing uh, a line or reference from the lease, like, per line uh, 763 subsection A-2, you have not swept the leaves and you are in, you know, contempt and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, uh, we wanted to buy our own building because we were so fucking freaked out at the relationship that we've had with our landlord and we decided to lease. And so our property manager texted us last week and he was like, Hey, do you have time to meet today? Immediately, Steven and my, you know, our hearts dropped into our stomach. Like, Oh fuck. Are we canceled? Did they find out that we cut down this pole in the back? You know, did they see us pissing in the drains, AKA Steven pissing in the floor drains? Anywho, We just, you know, immediately felt the worst, and we met with him, and he apologized for the construction taking so long. So what's going on right now is anytime you're in a building, it has to be zoned properly per code for your city and state. They all have different code, different zoning requirements, and different uses. You need to obtain what's called a CUP, a conditional use permit. That gets you an occupancy permit to be able to occupy the space for your use. Otherwise, you, if there was like a fire or some shit, you could be in huge motherfucking trouble because you haven't put your space up to code per the use that you're trying to do. Could you get away with it until somebody reports you? Yeah, but if you get uh, caught, are you fucked? Yeah, pretty much. That actually happened to us with our first building because we didn't know any better. So they are currently changing the use of this building from a grocery store to a gym. Um, we're building a shower. We're adding, you know, physical therapy space, things like that. Well, right now, due to COVID, the city of LA is taking fucking forever. They got their first round of corrections back. They've been doing this construction since October. We just got our first round of corrections back on the plans. The plans have to be you know, per code. So sometimes you bring the plans in and X, Y, and Z are wrong. So then they give you corrections. You must bring back a new set of plans with those corrections on it to get approved. Well, once they said they were ready, there was a three-day hold to pick up. So I don't know if it's COVID. I don't know if they just don't give a fuck. Probably a combination of both. I hate COVID being the convenient excuse. Well, we're understaffed because of COVID. Well, blah, 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 because of COVID. I don't give a fuck. Like, if you're paying for a service, there's no excuse for you to get shitty service, especially COVID. We've had enough of that. 
So he apologized because the site was supposed to be done for us the second week of March because our lease is up in our current space at March 31st. So not only did he apologize in person, he offered to pay for our additional expenses that we are going to incur being in our current space because our lease now goes up to 150% of the rent per month now that we're staying over. And man, if we had any qualms or fears about this, you know, going into this relationship with this 10-year lease that we signed for our new space, they pretty much have been squashed at this time because we realize we're in a situation and in a partnership where these people are looking out for our best interests and they want us to succeed. And it is such a great feeling. Additionally, with that being said, we finally got all of our equipment. We got our final order from, it's called William Strength and Speed or Total Strength and Speed. They actually are the manufacturer for Elite FTS. So sometimes I say, oh, it's Elite FTS because people understand that brand. Sometimes I say it's William Strength and Speed. So anytime you order something from Elite FTS, William Strength and Speed is the one that manufactures it for them. So basically, we kind of just went right to the manufacturer. I found them happenstance when we opened our first gym. I didn't even realize that they were the Elite FTS manufacturer. But since you're ordering directly from a supplier, they can make custom shit for you. So we got a bunch of, um, we got some like a custom kettlebell rack and we got like custom laser cut logos on a bunch of our pieces of equipment. It was all, it was pretty hectic getting the shipment because it came twice on the wrong size truck, but it is here. And then actually all we're waiting for is the mirrors, which I don't even count that as our equipment. So as soon as they say go that this place is ready, from that point on, three weeks, we will be painting, moving, and getting everything ready, and then we will be open. So all y'all that keep asking me, when is 2.0 opening? I don't fucking know. Once they say go, it's three weeks from that day. That's all I can say. Could be, you know, two weeks from now they say go. Could be two months from now they say go. It's up to the city because we cannot open without that uh, certificate of occupancy. I am now working. I'm back in school. It is online at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. I am getting my certificate slash degree in canine rehabilitation specialty. Only um, vets and physical therapists can do this. There's actually, there's only two schools that offer this program. The other school is in Colorado, and they do offer the program to OTs and PTAs and vet techs, but unless you're a PT or a vet, you have to work directly under the supervision of a vet, so I can actually work independently just with a referral from a vet, which is cool. But basically, I will be taking online modules for the rest of the year. In October, I get to go to Raleigh, North Carolina for a week and go to a ranch and do physical therapies on doggies all week, hands-on, with instructors and other classmates. And then in December, I will go to the university in the beginning of December, and I will take the exam in Tennessee, and then I'll be treating doggies. And it's really cool because there is a vet that is in our plaza, and he is, like, totally down for it. There's only three doggy PTs that are like prominent in the South Bay area, and he says he refers to them all of the time, and they're pretty far. So I'm very excited to go around to all the local veterinary offices and exploit myself to them and offer up my services. Hopefully, I'll be at a point where I'm like exclusively only seeing doggies because you know, doggies are just better. 
Last update is I started my first off-season cycle, in case all y'all are wondering. Um, it's going good. Um, on week two, I'm only doing primo right now, and uh, it's going pretty fucking good. It's my first time ever doing steroids that's not directly preparing for a competition because this is also my first time that I have had time off in between competitions to be able to do an off-season cycle. And I trained five months as a natty, really got some good off-season gains um, in, and that's why I feel like this cycle I'm like two weeks in and I'm springboarding into a really good place okay let's get to what you came here for talking about OnlyFans sex work all of that stuff so I wanted to start off and give you guys my personal opinion and my feelings and where I'm coming from in doing this podcast I'm interested in learning more learning from people who are deep into this as their profession or their secondary income to see the ins and outs of what it is, you know, how it actually works, what their income looks like, how much time they're spending. Because what I hate about the United States and the Western culture is we have a stigma when it comes to not working hard or not working a full 40-hour work week. And if you do anything other than work 40-plus hours a week, you're fucking lazy, you're cheating, or, you know, you're just not doing the best that you can. But... You know, there's all sorts of studies that prove that, you know, in an eight-hour workday, people are only productive like four to six hours, to, you know, depending on what study you look at. And there's other, a lot of other countries where they're all around health, wellness, and happiness, and life satisfaction is greater because of the way that their work week and their time off is structured. It's taboo here in our culture to take days off, you know, go to work when you're sick, like you got to do it. Now, I understand there are people who are in a situation where financially that's what they have to do, but additionally, you know, working four to six hours, you know, I probably sit in front of the computer for four hours a day every day. Now, do I only work four hours a day? No, I'm working like all of the time, you know, on my phone, answering texts, answering emails, logging in, but I don't necessarily have a set eight hours that I sit in front of the computer. You know, I do what is necessary for my business. It's not a structured eight-hour workday, and that's the life of being a business owner, and same thing when you're doing OnlyFans content. You know, not only are you... I say OnlyFans because it's the most recognized. I also am encompassing in OnlyFans many other types of set work, sex work, like, you know, pictures, pornography, in person sex work, things like that. So I'm just using it as a blanket term because a lot of you guys are familiar with OnlyFans. But, you know, there's time that you're creating content. There's time that you're responding to people. There's time that you're, you know, uploading and organizing and doing things like that when it comes to your schedule. So... I think it's a creative and different way of work that I'm interested in learning a little bit more about. I, when I first kind of heard, not heard about steroids, because I've always known about steroids, but I had a very, very taboo conception of steroids prior to being very uh, immersed into the powerlifting industry. And then when I realized how prevalent it was and how many people were doing it, I started to open my mind a little bit more to the notion that it may not be what I thought it was. And, you know, the more, the more you educate yourself for your QAnons, the more or less taboo something can be once you actually see both sides of, you know, the pancake there. But... I feel torn, personally. I feel that there is like a 50-50 split when it comes to sex work in many different ways. First, I feel that, well, I'll go with the positives first. 
I feel that it is empowering. I feel that someone can make the choice to, so I think about it this way. Uh, I'm talking more specifically about women versus men. Men have the ability to go into vocations that use their physicality in order to make money, whether it's, you know, strength or brute or whatever, you know, going into construction type jobs, uh, labor force jobs are typically more dominant in the male, you know, workforce there. They aren't as available to women because women, you know, physically, not that I'm saying we're fucking weaker, but let's be real, those kind of jobs aren't as, if you look at maids versus construction workers, there's a very heavy dominance in one is female and one is male. So women don't have the same opportunities without a college education or degree to get into the trades to make as much money as men do. I do know some women that are in the trades, but it is probably less than 10% as compared to men. Women have a unique opportunity to use their physicality in another way to make money that is not as dominated by men. We'll say men are the main consumers of this content, but a woman without, you know, getting college educated, this isn't, you know, this is a skill, you know, this is a trade in and of itself, can use what their God-given talents and features are in order to make money. Same thing with a man being on a construction site. So I think it's an interesting dynamic that is now just being explored more. I think Sex work in the past was typically two things. It was stripping or prostitution. But now with the age and revolution of the internet, it has grown into something so much more. I correlate OnlyFans and sex work to getting nudes, right? It's like, oh, like, let me show you this nude I got of this chick, blah, 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 Stacy, blah, blah, blah. And it's... The allure of seeing someone that you personally know, um, whether it's vulnerable or intimate or whatever that setting may be, is that much more exciting than Google searching blonde with big tits on the internet, someone you don't have a personal connection with. So that is the allure of, you know, finding and seeing someone you know. I also think that, you know, the internet is amazing for finding niches. Um, There's a lot of people who like muscle fetish. There's a lot of people who like feet fetish. There's a lot of people, I'm sure there's more fetishes out there than I could even think of. And this creates an opportunity for people to find or people to be able to offer those services that are so niche. That is the positives. And also, like, making a good livable income that is on your time and flexible. I I also hate the eight-hour work week when it comes to you got to work fucking seven to four, blah, blah, blah. Like, what if you're a single mom and your kid gets off work at two? Like, it just makes things so much more difficult. Being able to work on your own flexible schedule is, you know, I think one of the best things you could do for your life and your health, wellness, and stress level. The negatives, I feel, in certain ways, it is... A slight step back in, um, you know, women's rights per se or the objectification of women. I think it is one further step into making women objects, you know, that you literally pay a price for where, um, I guess, you know, you could say you hire a handyman to come and, you know, paint your walls for X amount of dollars, but you're not making that handyman feel vulnerable or seeing him in an exploitative type of fashion, whereas this is the exploitation of your body for a price. I just personally feel like I wouldn't do it. Last night before I knew I was going to 
record this podcast, I was thinking about like how I was going to explain myself about why I wouldn't do it. And honestly, like it doesn't fucking matter. Like I just wouldn't do it. So I don't necessarily need an explanation because it's not for me. Do I think it is for other people? Yes. And I think that's great. But I will explain the reason why I wouldn't do it. It's for several reasons. A, just I wouldn't want to put myself out there in that way. I feel like my body is my body, and it's for the people who I only want to see it and not the Internet. But um, also, I have a professional license and degree, and I wouldn't want to associate myself and my name that is in the public eye where I'm in a customer service interaction, you know, face-to-face interaction-based world um, for people to be able to have my, you know, personhood, literally, um, in their view or their capability. Um, Maybe if I was someone who, you know, worked in an office and I wasn't in the public eye in that way associated with my name and my license, I would think differently. Um, But it's just something that I never want to do. And that's okay. If everyone was doing sex work, it wouldn't have the same allure, right? I wanted to address the growing so there's a growing OnlyFans population in strength sports or the strength community in powerlifting but I don't know if that is translatable against other communities because I'm so involved in powerlifting. It's just like my niche, right? Like I'm not involved in the CrossFit world. I'm not involved in the crocheting world or the anime world or you know the any other niche, you know, insert any other niche you can find on the internet. Like, I don't know if people in these circles are also doing OnlyFans, but specific to the strength community, I've noticed over the past several months, many, many people that I know that I follow that are on, you know, my Instagram feed have started their own OnlyFans page. To date, I do not know of any men, if there are any men out there that have OnlyFans and you're listening to this podcast, let me know if you would like to share that information. So I reached out to seven people that I personally know that have OnlyFans. I would say all of them pretty much are in the strength, sports, or lift um, community. So I got a pretty small sample size just to give you guys some you know, perspective. These are some questions that I wanted to know. And here are some of the answers. I'm going to save some of the answers for the end after I interview my guest. But here's a couple of the questions and answers that I asked. So the first one is, how long have you been doing OnlyFans? Uh, Of the seven people, it ranged anywhere from five months to two and a half years. And then I asked, what was the reason you got started in OnlyFans? And basically the responses were for extra money, confidence, and one user said that they wanted to do it as an experiment in female strength sports just to kind of see what she could pull in, I asked what your tip menu looks like. So if you don't know, OnlyFans is a subscription-based service. The user or content creator can charge whatever set amount they want as a monthly subscription fee. Say it's $10 a month. Um, OnlyFans takes a cut of that fee, so maybe they take $2 of that, and then the content creator gets $8 per month for each person that signs up for their monthly you know, base subscription. 
What that subscription includes is up to the content creator, but basically it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been on OnlyFans, it's like a Twitter feed or a Facebook feed, and it's their own personal profile, and you get access to the content that they put out. It's usually like teaser-esque style videos, and then you can pay more for maybe there's like a full version of that video or, you know, a less clothed version of the same video that you can pay extra for. So some content creators offer specific types of here, pay this much extra to get this, you know, in their feed, or they have what's called a tip menu. A tip menu is like a set, you know, range of items that have prices, like sexting is this much, getting a picture of me is this much, a video is this much, a video of me doing this is this much, or a custom video is this much. So I asked the content creators what their tip menu looks like, and for, uh, this is just like general, um, average of some of the responses for a picture of choice anywhere from five to twenty dollars videos that are pre-made range anywhere from ten to fifty dollars and then for more uh, nude photos or videos um, those range anywhere from fifty to two hundred dollars so custom content can get expensive but you know you're asking and requesting for a specific video you're paying the price and then that content creator gives it to you I'm pretty sure OnlyFans also takes a cut of those purchases as well I know OnlyFans also can do a kind of pyramid type structure so say you are being mentored by someone else who has a large following on OnlyFans, they can kind of sign up under you and then that mentor gets a percentage of your sales as your as the content creator that's being mentored by that person. But also it's, you know, a cool brand relationship where you're, you know, working with someone else who can help you in the industry. This is a question that everybody wants to know. How much time exactly does it take to do this? So of all of the content creators that I surveyed, it went anywhere from one hour a week up to 12 hours a week. But the average of the seven users was six and a half hours a week. So think about that. Spending six and a half hours a week. Now let's go to the money, which is the second biggest thing. Um, the range of money per month that these users made was anywhere from $500 to $4,000. So of these seven content creators, the average was $1,800. So $1,800, let's do some quick math here, folks. $1,800 divided by six and a half hours, that is $277 an hour. Damn, pay me, fools. That's some pretty good return on investment there, the investment being your time and the return being those dollars. So um, there was... One person who said it's their primary income, and for the other six people that I surveyed, it is their secondary income. So imagine you make $4,000 a month, adding that extra $1,800 for only six more hours of work. You've substantially improved and increased your income for a very short investment of your time. I asked these users if they have an exit strategy for their OnlyFans or, you know, what are the next steps for them. Two of the seven people that I surveyed um, do not do OnlyFans anymore. They were previous OnlyFans content creators. So the other five, um, one said once she's done with college, she's going to be done with her OnlyFans. This is helping her pay her way through college. And then the other ones just weren't sure. They either wanted to grow their brand or they don't have any, you know, they haven't thought about an exit strategy or the future for their OnlyFans content at this time. 
I'll be real. When you're in college or grad school, um, it is hard to find something that is worth your time and money. When I was in grad school, I was going to school for 35 hours a week um, and then probably doing an additional 35 hours a week of studying. So the only thing that was worth my time was bartending. I bartended for about 20 hours a week and I made a, uh, 20 to 40 hours a week, depending on what was going on. I worked 12 hour shifts. I would make about four to $700 a shift, um, about three days a week. And it was the only thing that I could do that actually was, you know, I couldn't do a job that was making $15 an hour. It, there wouldn't have been enough time in the day for me to be there to make a substantial enough amount of income for me to be able to make it worth the sacrifice to give up those hours of my time while I was trying to get my doctorate. So I completely understand the need to make this side money. Let's talk about Corona and social work. So, you know, all of these, so many people are out of work, out of money, out of jobs. Uh, a lot of these people have, are single mothers. And I'm, I'm not talking about the seven people that I interviewed. I'm talking about people who do OnlyFans or sex work in general. So you lost your job, you know, unemployment's not coming in. The internet is an amazing thing. You can sit at home and just passively make money. So I totally see the allure and, you know, the, the reason for doing this. Before I bring on my guest, I will just say some of the requests that I've gotten, which I think are hilarious. Um, I've gotten a lot of requests for pics, videos, things of that nature, um, but the biggest one that I've gotten over and over and over and over again is videos or pictures of me carrying Stephen, which I think is hilarious. But there's a huge market out there for lift carry of men. So maybe it could be something that some of y'all are listening want to get into. So my guest that I am bringing on today, I'm going to call her Mrs. B. She... I will let her introduce herself, her history, but I wanted to bring her on because she, uh, sex work is her primary income. This is something that she's been doing for a long time. It's something that she's very good at. She's very educated in. This is her business. This is her income. This is her livelihood. I think that it's important to get a full worldview of you know what is going on, and she is definitely one to give it to you and tell you like it is. I asked a few times over the past couple weeks some questions of you guys on my Instagram of what you wanted to know about OnlyFans or sex work, and she is going to go through those questions and give you her answers, and then I'm going to just ask her some questions that I'm curious about. Okay, so without further ado, actually, we just recorded like 20 minutes of us talking, and it didn't record again, but for the first time for you, Mrs. B. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I am Mrs. B today. And I am a full-time sex worker. Profesh. Professional ho. That's me. Um, and I use the term ho as a reclaimed, empowered word. Um, and so I am a professional full-time sex worker. And the area of sex work that I do is I'm a dominatrix. Ow, ow. That's right. So I am a professional uh, person who is mean to men for money. And I hurt them, and I make fun of them, and uh, per their request, per their request, and consensually. Um, and uh, are you yeah. always in black leather? <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm Catwoman, but a lot of the times, you know, I'm just hanging out at home in my lingerie, talking to men on the phone, and making fun of them. Nice. You must not have a lot of laundry then. It must be very small loads. <laughs> it is. Nice. So explain to me a little bit what like your normal, like what does your workflow look like? Like you said you're a dominatrix. 
And what else do you do? Okay, so as a dominatrix, I do a lot of things, a lot that go into it. I do online sex work, and I also do in-person sex work. So in regards to being online, yes, I have subscription sites, um, such as OnlyFans, AVN Stars, Just for Fans. There's more than one. I make video content, audio content, I take pictures, um, I interact with fans. Um, I do phone sessions, so I talk to people, you know, on the phone. And Let me know, hear your phone sex voice. You my phone sex yes. voice? It's something along the lines of, what naughty things have you been thinking about today? Ooh. And, you kind of <laughs> sound like a crazed young profesh. Yes. Sex profesh. Yes. I have a whole different sex uh, phone voice, so, you know, playing on that line of, like, I'm powerful and in control and also so sexual and feminine. Like, that's what I shoot for. Yes. <sighs> <laughs> Just breathing heavy for hours. <laughs> yeah, so I, um, yeah, so I do a lot of online content and interacting. And then I also do in-person sessions as well. I work at a professional dungeon. So it's an established place with, you know, different furniture. There's a staff on site. So it's very safe. We have strong partnerships with our local police and we do charity work. So uh, it's important to do... Everything that you can to maintain your safety if you're doing in-person sex work. I do not do clients at my place or hotels or anything. Well, you don't do anybody. I don't do anybody. Oh, yes. That's <laughs> right. We have to tell them that all over again. Yes. Um, I don't have sex with anybody for money. Um, the term sex work actually is an umbrella term, and that means any person who makes money using sexuality. It doesn't mean that, you know, everybody's having sex with people. It's just if you're employing sexuality and seduction and sensuality, eroticism, and you're getting paid for it, then you fall under the umbrella of sex work. So, for example, like a stripper would be considered sex work. You know, they're not having sex with anybody, but they're dancing, they're being provocative, and they're getting paid for it. Um, you know, OnlyFans girls, all of us, you know, we're using our eroticism. So a lot of the times with those online personalities, you know, you're not having sex with anybody in person, but you still fall under uh, sex work. Have you been asked to go farther? Yes, definitely. I, you know, the confidence of dumb men, like, amazes me. <laughs> <laughs> of them thinking they're a they sure thing. that I would be so tempted to do that. Oh, God. <laughs> Yes, I have been, uh, I have had many, many a men try to uh, proposition me for different sex acts and I always turn it down and then I always love to throw it in their face to make them uncomfortable, telling them, oh, you're soliciting me for prostitution? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> but there's some who do that. There are some who do and I don't, I don't shame uh, people who choose to do that. That's considered full service sex work. And for some, you know, that's what they want to do. And I think that's great and amazing and empowering. My actual personal belief is that I believe that all sex work should be decriminalized. And I would love to see our country kind of move more towards that because I think that's, you know, safer and better. This is the longest career in history. You know, sex work has existed for centuries and will always exist. Um, we just will have to evolve and adapt with time. Yeah, I so. agree. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this pod because my beliefs have kind of changed and evolved as I've learned more and it's becoming, I mean, the internet is amazing, right? Mm -hmm. It makes everything just available. Mm -hmm. So the, the amount of information and access that people can get now is just so much different and it's becoming a little less taboo, I would say. Mm -hmm. I want to know, because 
you know, Mrs. B didn't just wake up one day and be like, I want to smash some nuts. (laughs) What was day one? Okay. So um, I'm a part of the BDSM community, and that's the category of sex work that I'm in. Explain Um, what that is, because some people don't even know. (laughs) I forget. Um, BDSM, um, it means uh, bondage, domination, um, sadism, masochism. Um, and there's some different like switching out in between that. So um, y'all can Google it. Y'all can Google it. BDSM. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about being safe, sane, and consensual. Consent, consent, consent. Yeah, for the people in the back. Enthusiastic consent from start, <laughs> beginning, like middle, end, all of it. That's my biggest fetish is consent. Enthusiastic consent. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I got involved in the BDSM community. Um, on my own for my own personal interest and personal enjoyment about six years ago. Um, I, you know, got into that subculture with like parties and events and classes and books and I just fell in love with it. I've always been a very dominant person, mm-hmm. always very aggressive personality. And when I got into the BDSM community, I was like, oh my God, there's a whole group of people who literally worship me for being an over-the-top, aggressive, dominant woman. Like, hello. Like, hello. This is where I'm meant to be. Men literally kiss the ground I walk on and want to wait on me hand and foot. Like, yes. Sign me up twice. <laughs> I am here. Um, so I got involved in the BDSM community, um, started developing my skill set, had a real passion for it, and then as time went on, decided that I wanted to um, move into professional BDSM. So um, more of my background is that, you know, I'm a college-educated hoe. That's right. That's right. I have my college degree. She's a smart hoe. Very smart hoe. And at the time that I got into sex work, I had a full-time career um, in a competitive industry and doing very well. And sex work was just something that really interested me. And something that I saw a lot of opportunity in, a lot of financial opportunity, a lot of personal freedom in, and something that, you know, really, just really held my interest and something that I couldn't get out of my mind. So I thought about it for like many years before I started. And I've now been um, a professional sex worker and professional dominatrix for about a year and a half, almost two years. And now it's your full only job. Now it's my only job. Now it's my full-time job. So when the pandemic hit, my industry that I was in full-time completely collapsed and went through huge turmoil, massive layoffs all around. And I'm really fortunate that I had already been in sex work at that time for, you know, quite a bit, already had an established following and professional website and already had an idea of what I was doing. So once the pandemic happened and I lost my daytime opportunities, I just put full force into my sex work and went full time and just hustled and grinded. And so now it's my my full focus. So all the work that I do is my sex work. Nice. How much time do you spend? Like, what's your split? Like you have client management, you do content creation, you do one-on-one in-person sessions. So like, wait, is the dungeon? It's, I like picture like, (laughs) A cavernous, wet-walled, basement-type place? Or is it like just like an establishment you walk into? So, one, I'm going to have to take you to my dungeon sometime. Okay. I'll take you and Steve into my dungeon. I need to see it. We need I'll to see it. I'll spank you if you want. Okay. <laughs> um, and so, with my with my dungeon, it is an established bu- uh, business. 
It is um, something that's kind of tucked away and hidden out of sight. So you don't know how to get there unless you have like the directions. Mm, like a speakeasy. Speakeasy. Yeah. The front door is all like blacked out. You have to be buzzed to be let in. And then inside there are several play space rooms that have like tons of dungeon furniture. You know, like, is the there like a, light. there's a lobby, like a list, like choose your fantasy or like, do people go in there? They know what they want. Um, it really just depends. Uh, you go in and you'll see a client and they'll have kind of an idea of what they're into, but there's also a lot of people who don't know what they're into and seeing a professional dominatrix is great for that because if you are new or you're wanting to explore, it's good to go to an established professional who can safely take you through those steps and give you um, a positive and good experience. Um, so I work with a lot of people who are first time in BDSM and wanting to kind of experience different things. And they don't know what to ask for. They don't know what to ask for. And so we always negotiate before we do any type of activities and we'll kind of run through what they're interested in, what they're not, what are their hard limits, like are things like don't absolutely do to me. And it's important to be aware of those things and talk about them. Yeah, beforehand. Beforehand, before you engage in BDSM. And the safe word. Yes, safe words are always important. Can you tell me your safe word? Yeah, my safe word's not exciting. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The um, really standard kind of safe word system that people use in the community is kind of like like the light system. So there's green, yellow, red. So green is like good, 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 yes, more, more, more. Yellow is let's slow down, let's talk, check in with me, let's adjust and then keep going. And then red is done. Stop. No more. Everything ends in that second. It is over. Okay. Yeah, so my safe word is red. (laughs) One time I was doing PT on someone and she was like, my safe word is Margaret Thatcher. (laughs) So I say that shit all the time. Like, just like, if you need me to stop, yell Margaret Thatcher. (laughs) Say it. It can be translated across other mediums as well. Your safe word is whatever you want as long as you and the other person know what it is. Yes. So let's talk about... Like, so you have several different sites. You have several different meads of multimedia that you advertise yourself Mm -hmm. from. What do you think is the best strategy that you use? Like, how do you, a lot of people want to know, like, how do you get a following in this, in this industry? Yes. Okay. So to um, answer that and also back up a little bit, because I don't know if I answered your first question. I got so distracted by dungeons. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, so my kind of, uh, my work split is, I prioritize making content. Content is any item that I am selling online. So the main content that I make are called clips. So I do a lot of videos and I'll make, you know, solo videos of me, you know, talking to the camera. A lot of my content is me just like making videos telling dudes, you're never going to be able to fuck me. And you're so fucking pathetic. You're a little bitch and a loser. And dudes pay me money for me to tell them I'm never going to fuck them. Nice. (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) And uh, so I make a lot of uh, solo videos of me just talking to the camera, sitting in my lingerie, and then I'll like collaborate and have like other co-stars while I'll be doing like a little bit more extensive things. And uh, I'll also do phone sessions. So I'll have clients call me. There's different sites that you can use for that. I would recommend using sites to do you know, phone calls and texting because it's important to protect your personal information and also have personal boundaries. So mostly, predominantly my clientele is men. So men pay money to talk to me on the phone and to text me. So, you know, they cannot talk to me unless they are being charged, just like running like a meter on a cab. And uh, so I make, you know, photos, videos, phone calls, texting. Um, You know, I do a lot of engagement. I advertise myself through um, 
media and collaborating with others. I have a subscription site. I have like several subscription sites because there's more than only fans. There's also AVN stars. There's just for fans. And uh, so a lot of my time is more focused on my online work because that is more of more profitable for me and also um, better for long-term goals because it's more scalable as far as a business goes because I am a legitimate business. Sex work is real work. Sex work is a business. I am she a, got her LLC. I'm okay. An LLC, bitch. She pays her taxes. I do. I have an accountant. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, with sex work, if you can build your online following, it becomes a lot more scalable. So it's like your time and value can grow exponentially. What I love is sitting on my couch when it's my off time and making money. That's, that's right. my that's passive income. So wet. Yes. Sitting on my couch making money. Yes. Because <laughs> you put the investment of your time in and you can't get to that point unless you've really hustled and you've honed your following. So right. back to your other question is if you want to get into sex work, you, before you even get to trying to build a following, you have to make sure that's something that you're comfortable with and is the right decision for you. Because you have to know that whatever you put out on the internet is going to be there for the rest of your life. Yes. Even if you don't show your face, whatever you've put out there is going to live in the internet forever. And one day it may pop up, someone you may know and love may find it, and you have to be at peace and every time you make content, you have to be okay with, you know, an employer finding this or a family member finding this or your aunt your Debbie friends. gives you a call. Yeah. Your pastor finding it. <laughs> Actually, my old boss, I thought she did a bunch of foot fetish porn yes. and my friend found it and she sent it to me. She's like, look, it's our old boss. And I was like, that's hilarious. So good. <laughs> yes. So I would definitely encourage you taking inventory and checking in with yourself of, are you comfortable with that? And then establishing your boundaries as far as what you do and you don't do with your content. I have very clear boundaries of what type of content I make and what kind I do not make. Is that like in your mind, the boundaries you've set, or is it like posted so that people know when they're approaching you for things like maybe you have like a menu of like, this is on, this is off. Yeah, definitely. I do have, you know, those boundaries and I make that very clear. So for me, and I don't shame other girls who do it. This is just my boundary. This is what I'm comfortable with. You know, if for the women who go full nude, do full pornography, fuck yeah, bitch, like make your money, like stack your cash. Like for me, this is where I feel comfortable in my boundaries. So like, I don't do anything that's nude. I don't do anything that's masturbatory. I don't do anything that's like intercourse sex. Um, I just make fetish content. And I think that's what's really interesting is that there are people out there where the fetish content I make where maybe it's not as explicit. It is just as deeply sexual to them yeah. as someone else. And so um, I have to be okay with that. No, I the yeah. more and more I, I learn about this, the more there's so many other kinks and fetishes that have nothing to do with nudity per se. Mm -hmm. um, you know, making fun of someone or someone asked me just to they would pay me to watch the masturbate. I'm like, that's a win-win. Like, I just got to sit there. You're doing all the work. Okay. So I didn't do it, but I could, I entertained it. Yeah. But it's, there's so much more than just that. How would one, like, say, you know, I have a friend that's interested. How would you just dabble your toe in the water to see if it's for you? Or can you do that? So I think that, you know... I would say you just really need to have that, like, uh, you need to have that conversation with yourself. You have to, you know, make sure that you're clear. And then when you're ready to start engaging with it, I would say start slow. So, you know, 
um, the term lewds. So it's like photos of you in your underwear or lingerie. You're not exposing yourself. I think starting slow, seeing how you feel about it. Because sometimes you can do something and think you're okay with it. And then you did it. And then you're like, that feels really icky. And you don't want to feel icky. Like you want to make sure that whatever you're doing is you feel empowered, you feel confident, you feel good about the choices that you made. So I would say start slow, start small. And then if you're like, wow, like, you know, I feel good or I feel like I want to push a boundary, then I would say like, go get it, go do it and see how you feel. And you can always go forward and then stop making that content. If you felt like you wanted to make more explicit content and you decide you don't want to do that anymore, you don't have to keep making that content. You can also just like shut everything down and stop whenever you want. Yeah. Um, so you need to have a following to purchase your content. So you either have to, you know, I would highly recommend do not use your actual name. Do not use your name at all. That's basic safety and privacy. So you need to come up with a new name, a different pers uh, persona, and you need to set emotional boundaries for yourself when it comes to your work and especially in something like sex work. Um, I would say that if you don't have any type of following, um, you need to collaborate with other people and start building your following through that. So make friends with other sex workers, find out, you know, what type of niche you want to be in and start making friends with those people. And it's important to, to be respectful of other people's, um, energy and values in their, so it's important to, you know, be respectful of other people's education. If you're a newbie sex worker, don't start spamming other sex workers with teach me how to do this. Please show me how, like you need to offer something in return out of respect. So, you know, offer to pay them for their time. Ask them, like, do you do mentoring or coaching? Or, you know, how much would it cost to have one hour of your time? A lot of them have eBooks out. So, you know, a lot of the mottos in sex work is fuck you, pay me. Yeah. And that applies to other sex workers. So, you know, I get approached by, you know, baby doms or people who want to be dominatrixes and they want to know what my hustle or what my game is. And it's like, I don't give that out for free. Like you have to be respectful of the time and the money that I put into my education. Too. Right. No, I totally yeah. get that. People ask me all the time. I want to open a gym. I want to open a gym. I want to open a gym. I've gotten that so many times. I, I used to kind of entertain or, you know, give like fitness advice or nutrition advice. And I've just learned if they're serious about it, if you put a dollar amount on it, they will pay. Yeah. Like, I don't think $100 of my time and experience or your time and experience for an hour is unreasonable mm -hmm. because you've accumulated years and you can synthesize that knowledge into like, these are the do's, these are the don'ts, this is all the stuff I've learned. And that is invaluable if mm -hmm. it comes to translating that into them making money. Mm -hmm. So what, like you said, don't use your name. I know a lot of people advertise their OnlyFans through their Instagram. Yeah. So if you don't have a following, vice versa, it's like, I have the experience, but I'm a new grad, you know, I can't get the job. So how, if you have a following and you say, don't use your name, how then do you link it to your Instagram? I think that's what is a big challenge and definitely something that kind of makes me concerned um, for the sex workers who are doing it from the fitness world. To me, that terrifies me because if you've, you know, already have an established following on your Instagram, people know your name. They know where you're going. They, they know, know what where gym you you're going to yeah. be at. They know what spots you eat at. And it's just not a boundary that I'm comfortable with. For me, you know, I'm anonymous. I'm totally fine with people who recognize my voice knowing what I do. And I just would never put it out there. My boundary is in, you know, the strength world is I don't advertise what I do. I don't ever post on my lifting account that I'm a sex worker because I want my safety uh, maintained. So I think 
for the for the people considering using their following, you have to make that decision on your own and you need to be aware of the risks that are associated with it. So maybe if you do want to start that following and use, you know, use your established Instagram, I would say just do a scrub on your account and I would say remove all of the places where you've tagged your location because you want to make sure that you're maintaining your safety first and foremost because stalking is real in sex work and in life do you think that there's like a veneer of safety when people who you know are in the fitness industry just doing only fans because they feel like it's only this virtual world as opposed to like you who is doing real life interactions do you think that those people have a false sense of security that no one will come after me because they can just pay for this content. You know what I mean? Mm. What I'm trying to say? Kind of. Like, I think that, um, I think more people should, especially as they get into sex work, safety is the number one thing on my mind always with every piece of content I make, with every interaction, how much I disclose about myself, you know, and my persona and my life. Like, I would say always think about your safety. And I think that a lot of people can get so used to the internet being like this anonymous, like void. Um, that they lose sight of it. But I would say, you know, it doesn't matter if you're doing online or in person. There's a lot of ways where, you know, you're at risk. What is the scariest thing that's happened to you? Because obviously these boundaries didn't just show up out of nowhere. You've learned, mm -hmm. if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, well, um, I'm fortunate in that I have a lot of sex worker friends in my life. And I've had them in my life prior to me starting. So I was in a great position of kind of already having an idea of what to look for, what to do and not do. Um, and I would say that I started out the gate pretty smart. And I think the only thing that comes to mind that's like the scariest thing was I had a client who had seen me in person at my dungeon um, send me emails about how he wanted to see me again and how he, you know, was sorry that he couldn't see me, that he was busy, and then sent me a picture of him with an automatic rifle. Oh. So he was like sending me pictures of him with guns. So that was definitely very concerning of, mm -hmm. of mine because I would not want anything to have happened where, you know, he decides he wants to show me his guns in person, you know, in a location that he knows that I'm at. Right. So I don't respond to him anymore. Do you get escorted in and out of the dungeon? So the thing is, is um, at my dungeon, there are security cameras on the outside. It's blocked. It's like blacked out. So you can't come in unless you're buzzed in. There are people on site 24-7 who are there. Um, so I feel very safe and, uh, you know, you go there before and you leave after the client hour is so that way, you know, people aren't hanging around. So you can see if somebody's like stalking your car. Right. Um, and I can have an escort whenever I want to have an escort. Right. So everybody wants to know, I want to know, <laughs> everybody, <laughs> me, what's the craziest thing you've done, oh <laughs> been asked gosh. to do? <laughs> I love my clients. I have some great clients and I have some very unique clients. Um, one of the stories that I love telling people is I got paid $200 to eat an entire rotisserie chicken. <laughs> I had a client who I talked into doing this because I already love eating chicken and I can already eat an entire rotisserie chicken. <laughs> Damn, girl. So I got him to buy me the rotisserie chicken, pay me $200, and I just sat at my home table in lingerie and just like ate the chicken and filmed myself <laughs> and then sent it to him. And he was... He was very excited about it. How long did it take you to eat the chicken? <laughs> Ten fucking Damn, minutes. Damn, that's minutes. bad. I love chicken. It was my favorite chicken Finger spot. licking good. It's actually chicken maison. So. Nice. nice. <laughs> I love chicken maison. Um, yeah, so that's one of my favorite stories. Um, I had another client. This one was in person who 
he booked me and a friend of mine for a double session. And in the session, he wanted us to stomp on his belly button. And it was the most, I've never had a man ask me to do that. He specifically was very focused on his belly button. <laughs> and he like instructed us in the exact position our foot would have to be because he wanted it to hit the belly button and make a popping noise. <laughs> so we were just like repeatedly like stomping our feet. It's like on the his Cairo belly couldn't button. get it. Nope. <laughs> That's one of my favorite guys. And then, um, <laughs> Another guy was a dude messaged me and he had a belly button fetish. And so he told me he wanted to be my belly slave and that he wanted to stare into my belly button and be hypnotized. And he wanted <laughs> belly selfies. And so I was like, yeah, $10 a selfie. He was like, oh yeah. And he bought three of them. So I just like stuck out my stomach and took pictures of just my belly. And he was like, oh yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> um, another one is... Probably the weirdest session I have ever had in my whole life so far, because I know I know there's going to be great clients, more great clients for me, is this man showed up and he had an outfit for me that he wanted me to wear. And uh, he brought two different colors of brown pantyhose and he specifically wanted me to wear both of them at the same time oh. because he said that when they blend together, they make the perfect shade of brown that he can't find anywhere. Oh. And then a one shoulder <laughs> leopard print cave woman dress. Okay. But I'm a thick bitch. And so I yes. couldn't fit into any of it. So then he was like, he was sad, but he was like willing to continue. And for his entire session of 30 minutes, he wanted to lay on the floor and pretend to be dead while I played dramatic drum music for him. And then just like <laughs> stood over him flexing my arms. And then he told me not to say anything at all, to just enjoy <laughs> the drum music. And then like some, and then he, the one of the weirder details of it was that he didn't even have the drum music saved. And so he insisted that he wanted to play it off of YouTube on his phone. And was then, there ads? <laughs> And he just wanted me to say over and over again, I'm the winner. I'm the winner. I did it. And so then. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, it's crazy. But like, so I was I was actually I got body work done the other day mm -hmm. by someone who is uh, gay in the gay community. He's mm -hmm. a gay man. And I was talking to him about how there's so much less sexual stigma when it comes to it's, I would say, more men than the gay men world than uh, lesbian community. But just in general, like the translucency with relationships mm -hmm. and fetishes and, um, you know, just the idea of monogamy mm -hmm. and thruples and yeah. all of that to where it's not stigmatized as much so people feel comfortable sharing those experiences where I feel like, do you, or is there ever any like people who come to you and they're like, my wife doesn't know about mm -hmm. this. I love being scratched and I've just, or whatever it is, insert X fetish. And they're so afraid to tell their partner because of the judgment that they go and seek this service, which isn't necessarily cheating, mm -hmm. you know, or how would you classify that? So I would say that's absolutely accurate. And I, that's, Absolutely. What I see with my clientele is a lot of them are married men or in relationships. 
And for whatever reason, they're not comfortable talking to their partners about it, or they feel like they have this deep shame within themselves and other people. And by being a professional sex worker, like I, to them, exist in a different like realm. So I'm not just an everyday woman to them. I'm a, I'm a safe spot for them. And they know that they're not going to be judged when they're coming to talk to me. So like, that's also something I try to encourage the people in my day life is, you know, be honest with your partners and ask about what kind of porn you like and have that honest communication with one another. Um, cause it is something that like, you know, there's a mix of people who they do have that shame and there's a mix of them who just want to kind of sample all around. Yeah. So you know, I don't really judge my clients at all and I don't lose any sleep about it because that's in their relationships and, you know, that's their choices to make. Right. You're, you've committed to this, you yeah. know. So what would you give advice for someone? You know, you said the anonymity, you mm -hmm. said, you know, starting slow, mm -hmm. making sure that you're okay with the, you know, the consequences, every action or inaction has a consequence. Like what other advice about boundaries or safety mm -hmm. would you give someone who's trying to get into the online world or in-person sex work? Mm -hmm. I would say that um, you really need to keep a good pulse on your mental health. Um, because sex work is very energetically draining. Um, I would say you can, you know, be filming content for a couple hours, but because of the, the intensity of your interactions that you're having day in and day out and socializing on and on and on, your business, your energy is your product and your inventory. So you have to make sure that you are not burning yourself out, that you are filling your life with positivity, that you're taking breaks when you need them. And then another very important thing that I try to keep in mind is making sure that you have healthy interactions with men in your life, like having consistent, healthy interactions. Because if you're getting involved in sex work and you are interacting with all of these men who are, you know, objectifying you, like I 100% get objectified, but I'm being paid for it. So I'm, a, I'm okay with it. Um, but I need to make sure that I have men in my life who are platonic friends, who care about me, who care about my genuine thoughts and feelings, you know, who I don't have to... Unrelated to sex work. Unrelated to sex work. Otherwise, it's easy for you to lose sight of that and to become bitter or jaded. Yeah. So I really treasure a lot of, like, my positive male friendships and, like, platonic relationships. So I would say, like, keep a pulse on your mental health, take breaks when you need to, and make sure that you are interacting with men in a normal, healthy way outside of sex work. Yeah, I can identify with that. Being a coach, I used to do video feedback. And it was like, so I had 50 clients. Mm -hmm. I was doing five a day and I can't log on and be like, what's up, Sam? You fucking sucked this week. And uh, your uh, squat was high at uh, two minutes in your video. Like I needed to be on. And yeah. that constant feeling of needing to be mm -hmm. on and needing to be a personality because other people are looking at you in that way for that, you know, motivation or feedback or that specific style you're providing. It's draining. Mm -hmm. It's it especially if like you don't fucking feel good. Like mm -hmm. you need a day off. Like, but if someone's counting on you and you've, you know, set that expectation that it's coming, then, you know, that can run you down and run you into a problem also i feel like how easy is like the slippery slope okay so you said ten dollars a belly button picture it's like okay well you know what about 50 for a nipple like you're yeah. like oh it's just my nipple here you go like just the areola like how it's it's probably very tempting to uh -huh. take those offers how do you either justify saying no or decline or like keep that firm boundary when 
there could be temptation to really make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, that's an individual journey that everybody goes on. For me, um, I, I guess like maybe it's a part of my kinks is I like telling people no and being in control. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> no, I don't care how much fucking money you're going to offer me. I said, no, yeah. just give me more money anyway. Because <laughs> um, clearly now you told me you have more money to give me. Um, but I say that I really treasure and pride myself in having boundaries because for me, my boundaries are how I maintain intimacy in my life and how I maintain connection. So I like for myself and every person can have their own boundaries and have their own forms of intimacy in relationships, no matter what type of sex work they do. Like this is how it makes it easy for me to feel close or connected or special with another person outside of my work. To me, that sounds like confidence, Mm -hmm. like, um, transitioning myself from working. I'm trying to give you guys real world examples of like how I can relate to this. Um, Transitioning from working for the man to being a 100% self-employed business owner, I was working 24-7, and I had no boundaries on my I was like, oh, you got money? Here you go. Oh, you got money? Schedule a session. Oh, you got money? And I was fucking exhausted. Yes. And it took confidence in myself to know, like, I will be okay. Like, mm-hmm. I just thought the money was going to run out. Yes, and then I think that's exactly it, is that um, I've tried to keep the, the thought is that there will always be another client. Yeah. There will always be another person with money who's going to want to buy from you. You just have to stay consistent and, you know, you don't need to compromise your, your boundaries or your morals and whatever they may be just for a dollar sign because there will always be another person with money who will pay you for what you're willing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely think I grappled with that and it's it's a confidence thing and being confident, betting on yourself mm-hmm. pretty much to be able to move forward and not take every single opportunity that's presented to you if you don't feel comfortable or you're just fucking tired and you don't yeah. want to do it. Like say no. Yes. Yeah. I think the other thing too um, is I want to make sure people understand when it comes to sex work, it's not about just being hot. You know, it doesn't fucking matter because there are attractiveness physical attractiveness is a dime a dozen for you to get a man or a woman or whatever person to spend money on you you have to make them believe that you are worth giving money to through your mental through emotional connection so one of the things that i love about sex work is whatever you fucking look like whatever shape size color age you know you are somebody's perfect fantasy. Yeah. So like you don't have to be a model. You don't have to be X, Y, and Z. Like there is going to be somebody who finds you desirable and attractive. But just because you're desirable and attractive looking, you have to be so much more. You have to be able to be like mentally smart and clever and it's finessing and knowing how to sell and how to, you know, really get the money out of their wallets. And that's a whole other skill set. So, well, tangent, there's many, many different categories, subcategories, what is what category do you fall under? <laughs> they want to know. Tell them. Yeah, because they don't know who I am. No, I'm so mysterious. Mrs. P. You'll just have to fantasize about what I look like. Um. I bet somebody's jacking off to this <laughs> podcast right now. You know, I I have peace in mind that I you know I'm spreading orgasms all around the world. <laughs> yes. Um, but I guess the the category in the niche that I fall into, besides being a dominatrix, is I fall under what's considered Amazon. <laughs> So I am a blend of being feminine, athletic, strong, courageous. I'm a thick bitch. 
Um, She's a tall ass, hot ass bitch with a thick ass booty and muscle. I got a big old fat booty. Fattest booty. (laughs) (laughs) And I already know all of you know who I am, but I'm fine with that. Um, Don't tag me. Um, (laughs) But uh, I fall under that category of being considered an Amazon because a lot of men are drawn to my femininity as well as my strength. And a lot of them really like this idea that they don't know if they can beat me in a fight. Like they like that I could physically overpower them. You're what? Five, seven? No, I'm like five, ten. Oh, shit. I'm so short. Everybody's just like so much taller than me. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Tall ass, thick ass bitch. That's right. Yes. So it doesn't, there's a ton of, there's the fitness community is growing in sex work, online sex work, because people are realizing there is a niche for muscle fetish, muscle. Would you call it muscle porn? There's a whole thing too. Like um, one of the sex workers who I really admire and look up to, um, her name is Andrea Rizzo. Uh, She's gorgeous she's my goal for one day she's like so stunning and feminine and she's like she's got muscles and she a thick bitch um and so she's considered a muscle dom so that's the category or the label that she uses um because she's definitely like very muscular and still very feminine so there's a huge demand and a desire and a fetishization of it and i think that if any female has been on instagram you're gonna get these like thirsty messages from dudes so the way i see it is like no matter what i do in life I walk down the street, I get catcalled. I go to the gym, I know that dudes are thinking about me or creeping on my gram, and they're probably jerking off to me. I'd rather get paid for it. Right, right. I want to tell you guys a side story that I told Mrs. B previously. I once got a random text message with like (laughs) seven pictures, and I opened it, and it was pictures of a woman in a onesie like kind of it was like a a wrestling uniform but it was more of like a beach bikini onesie a thong with tennis shoes and like like she looked like a 1980s Jane Fonda and she was doming this smaller dude she was like super fucking jack like she looked like a bodybuilder she was like um straddling his face and like just had him in all these weird sexual and wrestling positions Mm -hmm. and then this person messaged me and she was like I want to do this again, or wasn't that fun? For some reason, she thought she mistyped the number. She thought I was the dude, and I was like, this is the wrong number, but this is so fucking cool. I was like, you fucking go. Like, I'm a muscle bitch, too. And I think I sent her a picture of me. She was like, hell yeah. But it was so random, but so funny. I love it, and I actually do that, too. Yeah, a lot of dudes want to wrestle me, and so like I'll like choke them out with my thighs. Yes. It's a fun time. So knowing you, because we're friends, mm-hmm. um, I think, in my opinion, because people probably want to know, well, like, what does she do that's sexual, right? Mm-hmm. I would say, from what I know of you, the most sexual thing you do is clothed, sit on a man's face. Yes. 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 <laughs> that's about as close as it gets. That's as close as it gets. That's a big uh, demand that I have because... Booty um, or badge? Um, it's because of my booty. Yeah. Okay. So yes. that's a big draw of mine because I am also going to disclose my race is that I am a very, very, very thick white woman with a big old booty. So. It's huge, you guys. It's huge. Thanks, mom. <laughs> Double decker, okay? Um, yeah, so that's a big uh, demand I have. And so that's probably, I think, what people would consider to be like the most sexual thing I do in person mm-hmm. is I do it clothed. Um, and when I'm seeing clients in person, like I'm usually like, I keep my dress on. I have more wearing like three pairs of panties and all of that stuff. Um, if I'm filming content and I'm filming content with a longtime friend of mine who like totally respects me and we're on the same page, I, like I'll sit on his face on like a G string. And so like, I'll just make it look spicy for like the internet. But right. For in person. The angles. The angles. The angles. Yes. I, I sent you screenshots a lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. This is so good. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. 
All right, so I want to change directions a little bit. I want to talk about family, significant others, all that. Are you currently taken with a mister? Oh, my. Well, <laughs> I am uh, extremely single. Ooh, let me have that, girl. <laughs> yes, I am, uh, I am so very single. Um, I have been in relationships while I was doing my sex work, and it was definitely challenging because with them – they said they were on board. They said they were supportive. And then once it becomes reality, then it's tricky. Then it's hard. Then they're uncomfortable. Then they're not as supportive as they said that they were. You know, Like they don't want you to do it or they're like, you can do this and not that. Well, we know you don't like getting told what to do. <laughs> no one tells me what to do. But like how does that come out in your relationship? Like resentment or... Well, I try to get ahead of it because like I've talked about before is me maintaining my personal intimacy and my personal boundaries is a priority to me. So I try to get in front of it. And if somebody is interested in dating me or being in a relationship, I have a very transparent communication with them about exactly in detail what I do and what I don't do. So for example, of some of my personal boundaries is I only film content in long um, bodysuit lingerie. I don't do bra and panties. Like, to me, that's just for me and my partner. And it's something small like that that still, like, holds weight for me. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important, too, because, like, mentally now, when I put on bodysuits, my brain's like, oh, I'm, I'm working. Yeah. So it helps me, like, psychologically separate of, like, I'm it's your working. uniform. <laughs> yeah. Like, I actually, like, one of the requirements at my dungeon is wearing, like, stockings, like, um, like pantyhose and all of that. And at, because I was forced to do it so much, and now I don't like stockings or pantyhose because <laughs> it makes me think of work. So I have boundaries like what I wear. Um, I personally don't do any type of like masturbation or sex like that in my content. So like that helps maintain that level of like boundaries of intimacy. Um, have you had to end relationships because of the way that they feel about your profession? Um, or it just gets in the way? It gets in the way. Um, the breaking points of like those other relationships were other things, but definitely the lack of support and encouragement in my goals was definitely a deciding factor in not continuing in those relationships. It makes it very difficult to date. It's very hard to date and be a sex worker. As like a, so I know this is a big separation between people who just do online content and someone like you who's, you know, in the BDSM world mm -hmm. do like when guys find out, you know, probably the second or third date, maybe you introduce them to your world. Um, just by telling them what you do, do they immediately think that, like that you want to dominate them or like, <laughs> like it's really hard because I try to be like upfront early on. Um, if they ask me what I do for work, I like, I don't, I don't have it posted on like dating profiles. I don't have any dating profiles right now cause I'm over it, but, um, cause it fucking sucks. It sucks. Um, but I don't put it on like dating profiles, but if I have like conversations with dudes and they ask me like what I do or what I did at work, I'll tell them I'm a dominatrix at the beginning. Which is difficult because then from that point, it they either think me, you're a real hoe. They either think that I like. Then they start looking me, looking at me only as like a hypersexual person, and they stop treating me like a full person of like emotional and like mental connection. And I think because I'm a sex worker, I really prioritize and value that. So like when men really want to get to know me for me and like want to talk to me when I'm all like in my comfy clothes and not done up, like. That holds a lot more weight to me. I actually do a lot of reverse catfishing. So I like try to set the bar very low when they meet me. And then I slowly <laughs> let them see the progression of the hotness. I am. She I'm hides like, that ass in layers. <laughs> um, 
So it's, it's difficult because once I say I'm a dominatrix, then it immediately steers the conversation into sex of like, okay, but like, are you a dominatrix? But then you're not really dominatrix in the bedroom. And then it like shifts to them asking me a bunch of like personal sexual questions and like having to explain that or justify it. And like, it's like that's a screening not, tool. That's not necessarily something I want to get into when I'm just trying to get to know somebody. I don't want to have to disclose like all of my like bedroom preferences out the gate. Like I right. want a genuine like intellectual emotional connection. Right. What about like family members or people whom you've worked with or people that you know on your daily interactions? Like mm-hmm. how supportive have they been to you in your journey? I'm very fortunate because I'm mostly out like across the board in my life. So my whole family knows what I do and they're very supportive. So I'm very lucky. Um, very, very supportive. Like when I tell them stories, like I got paid money to eat chicken. then <laughs> Right. They're like, oh, it's not what I thought it no, was. it's not what I thought. And like they think it's like awesome and badass and that like I'm in control of what I'm doing and they know that I'm safe. So I try to make sure that I like tell them all the funny, silly stories. So that way they feel reassured and know that I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Yeah. And then in my friendships, um, all of my closest friends, like they all know because it's such a huge part of my life. Um, it's difficult for me to have close friendships if people aren't aware of like what I'm doing because it makes me have to like hide a huge portion of who I am. Yeah. Awesome. I want to address, I posted like three or four separate times some questions Uh on Instagram, which I sent to Mrs. B. So she was mentally, emotionally prepared (laughs) to discuss them. Like, let's get into some of these questions from your perspective. Maybe I'll have input, maybe not on the what the people want to know mm-hmm. all right so let's get into some questions i have several prepared some of you guys asked like weird questions but let's we addressed a lot of them already in our conversation but this question is like we talked about you know your friends and family knowing about what you do but how do you initiate that conversation like say you're making a new friend mm-hmm. um like you're in a new space you have someone that's a new friend how do you just be like hi i'm mrs b and i'm a sex worker <laughs> like <laughs> you know how do you introduce that mm-hmm. conversation it's definitely something that i have a lot of like i truly do have a lot of fear and anxiety of when i'm like bringing new people into my life or like new friendships because there is still that part of me that like is worried they're going to judge me or they're going to think poorly of me. They're going to like stigmatize me or they're going to be like awkward about me being around their significant other or stuff like that. And I try to frame that more in a perspective of instead of being concerned that that is what they think, is that just a projection of my own internalized judgment of what I do? Yeah. So like the more I think that I try to like embrace and normalize that for myself, the less fear I have about telling other people because the deeper I believe in myself, what I do is totally fine and is great. Then the less fear I have telling the outside world that. Yeah. Um, so it is something that I still deal with like fear over and I just kind of casually bring it up. So like when I'm first getting to know someone, I'll be vague, very vague about what I do. I'll just say I'm a freelancer or I work with small businesses or I do media or content And then as I kind of like feel them out and I, I feel like they kind of see me as like an intelligent, cool person, then I'll be like, oh, by the way, like, just to let you know, I'm actually a dominatrix and (laughs) (laughs) this is what I do. And then I kind of like open up about it. And a lot of them, like, you know, their eyes will like shot open and then I'll just tell them the weird shit I do and they'll think it's really cool. And for the most part, like everyone's supportive. I've never been 
truly rejected by anybody for my sex work. Or someone's like, well, we were friends, Mrs. B, but bye. Yeah. It's kind of like what um, I love when someone who is um, homosexual is with their partner and they don't say their partner Mm -hmm. and it's like my husband or my wife and I just love that I feel like it just destigmatizes saying my Mm -hmm. partner it's just like say your fucking husband or wife you know or my girlfriend or my boyfriend and I just love when people embrace their personhood instead of kind of dealing with what mainstream how they want you to you know perceive it or say Mm -hmm. Uh, someone wants to know what are your typical requests so maybe like you can give me like in-person typical requests or video kind of in-person requests okay well i would have to say that i cover a wide variety of fetishes but i would say my most common fetishes that i cater to or specialize in is chastity so I tell dudes that they never deserve to come or ever have sex again and that I'm going to lock up their pathetic little small cocks and they can just spend the rest of their lives just like aching. That's in person. That's on the phone and in person. Oh, okay. And okay. that is something I've done to people. Oh, okay. Like put them in a chastity belt. <laughs> <Yeah>. Nice. <laughs> um, so chastity, um, sissification where like I make men like wear panties and shit like that and tell them that they're little sissy girls. Um, I do that in person on the phone. Um, and then just like I beat up people. I've kick men in the balls a lot or like slap them in the face do they have to like sign a waiver like when they go in like because i mean i know people in the gym sign a waiver because if they get hurt they need to like release their indemnity yeah yeah no we have waivers nice okay um if people in the gym follow your OnlyFans or pay does it make for awkward conversations? So this would be assuming that you maybe advertise publicly on your Instagram and mm-hmm. people know that you have an OnlyFans. Or, I mean, in your world, in your people know you and they know what you do. So does it make awkward? Yeah. Well, I think because I'm a very, like, specialty category um, compared to maybe other people's um, more mainstream, like, sexual appeal. Uh, mine's very niche. So I don't advertise on my, like gym world um people in my gym know what i do but they don't see what i do and that's important to me to have those boundaries um that's my personal take um i think that if anybody in my gym like really wanted to see my stuff and were really into bdsm i think i would show them but i'm not outwardly advertising or sending links or like trying to gain clients through that part of my life yeah promote yourself i have a separate instagram i have i have my professional website so you know i just promote through there and if somebody from my gym found that account then that's fine I'll take your money (laughs) yeah do you know anyone who has had awkward experiences in person like meeting someone who knows that they are online content creator um like that they know like say for example like the gym or like Mm -hmm. some of the classes that you do things like that Mm -hmm. um truthfully I don't think I've had very many situations of that um I think the only thing I've had closest to that is I tried like online dating on like a BDSM type app and I did get recognized mm. by like a couple people who were like she popular they're like oh you're <laughs> da 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 what are you doing on here <laughs> <laughs> it's like I need it to date too yes. okay um what is the most amount of money that you have made in a day or a week easy or a lot of effort was it easy or a lot of effort so you can mm-hmm. you can generalize or you can pull from your own experience they want to know the cash flow they want to know that cash so um with it online sex work you have to hustle and you have to be consistent and then there are those special occasions where you just get lucky and you have a you have a you have a dude with a lot of money who wants to spend it 
My biggest spender I had in the shortest period of time was a man who lived in Canada and he just wanted to stare at my feet all day while he was at work. So he paid, I made like a thousand dollars in like the span of a couple hours, like between two days for him to just stare at me rubbing lotion on my feet. I bet they were very moisturized. They were very moisturized. I was like, I don't want to put any more lotion on my feet, but keep giving me money. And I would like try to cut him off. He's like, please more time. And I was like, more money now. (laughs) He was like, I have to stare at your feet. So like he'll sometimes like pop up every once in a while. But yeah, I I did make like a grand like with just like a couple hours of staring at my feet. Nice. Through Skype. Nice. So as I said previously, from the seven people that I interviewed, the average was around $1,800 a month. But some people making, you know, 4,000 or more. Mm -hmm. I think it really just depends on your niche, your content, how much you're pushing, how Mm -hmm. much time, you know, you're giving. Easy or a lot of effort. Like I feel like that perception, it can be – like you can look at it from a lot of ways. Like, was it easy? Like, yeah, did you have to work, you know, 40 hour work week to make a thousand dollars? No, but like, is it a lot of effort to be present, to do those things? Maybe something you don't want to physically do, like rub lotion on your feet for three hours, mm-hmm. you know? So I guess you can look at it in many ways of, was it easy or not? That's yeah. kind of subjective. I definitely, I would agree with that. And somebody who's my, um, like my sex worker mentor, who I look up a lot to, who I pay her money to take her classes she makes over $10,000 a month ow, ow. doing online dominatrix work. 100% online, does not see anybody in person. All she does is make content and distribute it. And she is probably one of the smartest bi- like business bitches I have ever heard. And all of it is applying the skills of business to sex work because it is work. So right. it's establishing a sales funnel, marketing yourself, having clear branding, you know, doing client relationships, email lists you know, really keeping track of how you're distributing all of your content. So it's like, you know, I distribute my content and my clips through six different websites, making sure they're all updated, sending out, you know, email blasts to my clients on each site. So that way they're aware, so that way they can spend money um, and just like building those relationships. Right. It's just like anything. If you don't care for it, yeah, it, it falls off. Okay. Another question is, we kind of talked about this, but I think you have better direct advice. How do you get subscribers if you can't post on IG? For example, this person is a teacher. Mm-hmm. So I would say that my suggestion is definitely separate it from your personal life. Make a separate persona, separate name. You don't have to show your face if you don't want to in sex work. It does sometimes make it easier, but there are people who can be successful without showing their faces. Um, make a separate Instagram. Um, do your market research. Figure out what category, what niche you want to be in. And I think just take inventory of your skills. So, you know, what makes you unique? What makes you special? What do you like? What do you enjoy doing? Because if you don't enjoy doing it, then you're not going to do it. And um, look at who else exists in the market who's doing that same thing. Take notes from them. Subscribe to other people's OnlyFans. See what they're posting, like how they're going about it. And then you can contact them to see, you know, do you do mentoring? Find somebody who's doing better than you, pay them money, learn and apply it. You can also do, um, I believe it's called like shout out for shout out. So you can be promoted on OnlyFans, not necessarily on Instagram or also Instagram. And then they'll promote your page to their followers. So if you're in a similar niche, then maybe their customers want to go and follow you and then you make money. That's a very common strategy because... Given the climate of the world, 
it's getting harder and harder for sex workers to advertise themselves or to even exist in a lot of like social media accounts. So it's a much easier and more effective strategy to do shout out for shout out through those sites because the people that they're advertising you to already have accounts on OnlyFans, already have their credit cards attached to it, and all they have to do is click and buy and add you to their subscription list. And they're interested in and that. they're interested. Because yeah. when it comes to sales and anything, is you want to remove as many walls and clicks as it takes to take their money. Right. Because the less clicks it takes, the faster it is for them to spend and not think about it or get bored or get frustrated. See, she's a business bitch. So I asked Mrs. B some of her crazy things, um, and then I said I was going to save the crazy things for the other people I interviewed, uh, and I will go through them. Um, someone said, I had a couple of muscle guys, muscle worship guys, want me to explain how I could beat the shit out of them and degrade them. Um, people wanted pictures of her back, her hands, her armpits, and straight up beehole pictures. Um, one person didn't get weird requests, sit on the toilet, take photos, and fart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, favorites, oh, I, these are Mrs. B's favorites, so I'll go down. Um, a guy paid me to send a dick pic. Oh, a guy, <laughs> I'm like, wait, this is a female. <laughs> she has a dick now? No, he, she got paid to get his dick pic. Dude, I wish every guy that sent me a dick pic would pay me. I'd open them all. Um, nothing crazy. Crazy. A guy asked me to dress up in a business suit and walk around all over camera barefoot for $500. A video of myself peeing. So I think like uh, we kind of alluded to like this can be a slippery slope, right? Like, oh, they want me to do this. They're going to pay me this much. It's so easy. But setting up that personal and professional boundary before you do anything like I can just translate it so heavily to owning a business that those personal and professional boundaries need to exist or you are just being swayed to the whims of other people's desires. And it is so easy to fall down that slippery slope without having organized structure. And since it's your business and the business is your body, you need to make your rule book for how you're going to play, you know, your body and your business. Um, the next question is do you need an accountant i know you kind of alluded to the fact that you have an accountant so um let's just talk about uh profit cuts because i think this kind of goes with that so you have you know the subscription that takes a cut like what would you say of the money that you're pulling in like what is the cut that your sites take and then you got to pay the government too yes definitely so it's like you can see these big figures so there's several ways you go about it and each site has a different cut um, I would say that a lot of like clip sites will take around like 35 to 40% of your money. Damn. Yeah. Um, a lot of phone sites will take about 30% of your money. Um, a lot of subscription sites take 20%. So you have to be really mindful of like your income and your profit and as well as what you're spending. So it's like you have, you know, your wardrobe, you have equipment, you have makeup, you have all of that. So as you start becoming like more established, you can work with an accountant and get those as write-offs. Right, because yes. it's, it's supplies. It's supplies. Yes. And then also, if you are a smart, hustling bitch. Like you. You get other men to buy those things for you. Ow, ow. So I try to get as much as I can. I get men to pay for my nails. I get men to pay for my clothes, for my lingerie. I got my camera and my filming equipment paid for by somebody else. And that's all through your sites. All through my sites like and just this, like client building. Yeah. So then I get them to like buy off of my wish list or to send things to me. So, um, yeah. Nice. So you try to build those client relationships and then you get them to 
to make those expenses for you. So maybe you don't know the answer to this. So say you made a thousand dollars. Your subscription site takes twenty percent of that. Mm-hmm. Um, is the one thousand dollars your taxable revenue, or is it the eight hundred that you take home the it's taxable? It's the eight hundred because okay. yeah, that's a fee that was paid so then it's like you're only like bringing back the 800 okay that's the money that you're getting well that's good because mm-hmm. that would fucking suck yeah <laughs> okay and the last question is what are your thoughts and opinions on the politics of sex work which we kind of addressed and dabbled into versus people who aren't legitimate sex workers or are doing it for instagram clout social media following um claiming they're in the industry and they really aren't i'm sure you have opinions <laughs> <laughs> i definitely do and i have um, I have known several people who kind of fall in that clout chasing thing. Um, I try not to shame people or judge too hard. The way I see it is like, you know, it's your body. If you're feeling empowered and you want to do and you want to go make money, go. Good luck. I don't really concern myself with them too much because the way I see it is a lot of these people who rush into it don't really recognize it for the business that it is and don't have the ability to stay consistent. So the people who are just like chasing clout, I don't expect them to be in the game for very long. I think they're going to see that it's a lot of work and that it's hard and so like, they get frustrated. So they'll weed themselves out. Chasing clout, like how do you even chase clout in the OnlyFans world? I think it's more of like currently in our culture, which is exciting, but also can be challenging, is that it is in some places kind of cool to be a sex worker and a lot of, you know, style and clothing is pulling from a lot of like sex work type of like archetypes or stylings and people are appropriating it into the current trends of culture like fashion nova fashion nova <laughs> and all of that and you know i live for like you know a lot of the music that's coming out that's like empowering women to go chase that money i'm all for it and then there's some people who are kind of just like appropriating it and want to try it on without giving the necessary respect because sex work is something that has existed forever and also has been crucial for people who are in you know vulnerable communities where they don't have any other options like if you just look past in like the last couple decades like um for trans women or women of color or you know queer people this was their only form of work that they could have because they were rejected by society and not given career opportunities and had to turn to sex work to try to make food like have food and pay their bills right and so there's a lot of people you know who have really paved the way in sex work who come from those you know vulnerable communities where this is their only option and they really made it fucking work for them and so i think there's a lot of like respect that has to be placed towards sex work and for people who are doing it and to just kind of like try it on without giving that respect or treating it like the business that it is is something that i definitely see a lot of And I try not to put too much of my energy into. Yeah. Um, I'm really, I try to recognize that I have a lot of privilege in that. And I try to use my privilege of being a heterosexual white woman, you know, to be able to have these conversations because people are going to listen. People who look like me are going to listen to me more likely than they are going to give somebody else a chance. So I want to try to use like my privilege to continue to address these situations and address the stigma and address the privilege that even exists within sex work itself. Um, so that I think that's really important. And I think a lot of like clout chasers too don't have that perspective. I totally can identify with that in like the everybody's an online coach. 
it's like someone has a good meet, all of a sudden they're an online coach. And it's like, what are your credentials? How are you really in this business? Like what? And then, you know, they're passing that and introducing that to other people. And then they get a skewed perspective of what the business actually looks mm-hmm. like. So I totally can see that. Yeah. And my, you know, my upbringing in from sex work comes from queer women and trans women. Um, and so I pay them respect. And, you know, I, I absolutely believe that their stories and their voices need to be heard. And, you know, I, I may not come from those same places, but I want to try to amplify opportunities for people to really give that respect and listen to their stories. Okay. So that's all the questions. I have one more just came to my mind. So you do poll as a hobby. (laughs) And that's when I mentioned classes before she does poll classes. Mm -hmm. So like, Do you let people know about that? Or like, do people automatically assume that like you're a stripper or you're going to be a stripper? Because you do like competitive poll where you compete, you do charity work. Like I've been to your competitions. I've been to your charity events and it's fucking awesome. (laughs) She put that ass in my face. And, um, but like, how does that interplay with your sex work? Do you use it as a skill or hobby? Mm -hmm. Um, or do you like to keep those worlds separate? I live a very compartmentalized life, <laughs> and uh, for me, I pole is definitely something that is like one of my greatest passions. And what I do is, I'm technically a competitive exotic pole dancer, mm-hmm. and I'm just overall a very professionally sexy person. Um, and I made the decision to not combine pole dancing with my dominatrix work because I wanted to kind of keep my brand a little bit more clear. And I think that could be a little confusing for consumers, but I do use elements of movement and seduction because that's a lot of what I do. I compete in, I am the sexiest, nastiest bitch in the country. Those are the competitions (laughs) I do. And so a lot of seduction and physical seduction I bring into my clips and the way I position and how I move my body and like my eye contact and my expression. Um, so it definitely comes into my work, but not in as direct a way. And I do keep it separate. And I also keep that as a separate part of my life. So you're not going to do like a clip for someone that's a pole clip. You're not going to do a dancing clip per se. I would do it only if it was like a special request, but I don't think it would be something that I would like generate on my own and put in my clip stores. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, it's definitely, I I have that separate and I have a lot of friends in different areas of sex work, which is another reason why I'm very passionate. So I have friends who are strippers, lots of stripper friends. I have sugar baby friends, dominatrix friends, porn friends. Like I'm friends with a bunch of porn stars on my phone and uh, I don't knock their hustle. Um, I do get, people assume a lot of the times that I'm a stripper because of how I look and because of my dance style. I would actually love to be a stripper. It's just been hard with the pandemic. So Mm. stripping is something that I would eventually would like to get into but you'd be good at it. Let me tell you, girl. I would, baby. Mm -hmm. So I asked the last question that I want to propose to you that I asked my other um, online OnlyFans people, their overwhelming response to the question of what, if you could go back, what do you wish someone would have told you when you were starting off? Basically, people, um, you know, know your business skills, you know, keep 
creating content. Like you have to keep up with this. This is a business. Like people go into this thinking that this is just like a little hustle or something, but no, it is a business. It is a brand. You know, if you have an Instagram and you're trying to create a following and you don't post pictures and you don't interact with your audience, you're not going to have a following. So same thing with this content. And the other advice was to not let people bargain with you. You have, you know, set a boundary for yourself that this is what I am proposing and you can take it or leave it. Just like Mrs. B said that there's always someone else that is going to be there to that wants your product as long as you keep advertising it. So what piece of advice would you give? I would say um, definitely along those lines, I would say the advice that I would have wanted as like starting out would be more business knowledge as far as like marketing and branding and advertising and selling skills. Like that's what I would have given myself starting out. And uh, consistency is everything because it's like you can develop this online following and then you can have this huge OnlyFans. If you stop posting, you know, people aren't going to resubscribe. And so you've put in all of this work, you've put out all of these like, you know, intimate pictures of yourself. And now, you know, you're putting in just as much work and you're not making as much money. So like consistency, time, effort, I would say teaching productivity skills would be great as far as like having an organized system of how you're going to plan out content, post content, and you know, put in that type of like work schedule, I think. And just know that it takes time. Yeah. So I would say that if you're looking for quick money, this is not this is not it for you. It takes years to build to the point where you're making $10,000 a month plus, you know. So it's an investment of your time and your energy and your content. Nice. Well, Mrs. B, I truly appreciate you being here in person straddling me while we're doing well, – she's not really like sitting on me. We're just both very close to the microphone, so our legs are yeah, kind of – our pelvises are pointed towards each other. We're like scissoring right now, yeah, basically. <laughs> if you weren't jacking off, now you are. Thank you for listening. Like me, subscribe, share, all that shit. Bye. Bye.